0: This uh... is I didn't realize you'd come in. Hi, it's Alex, and I was just singing randomly. In a, an attempt to make one single person smile out there, with my completely off-key singing that kind of hurt my throat. In fact, it really hurt my throat, and I kind of feel like it's glass-like and broken in its consistency. I'm going to take a sip of Rainier Brand beer and uh memorialize on this day. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. It seems weird to say that, celebration of the dead in a war, and you say happy Memorial Day. One would think that it should be um, solemn Memorial Day, everybody. you know, um, Hey, re- respectful Memorial Day. But it's not. And here's a shock jock thing. Isn't Memorial Day kind of like having a parade for the people that lost the Super Bowl? Yeah, I'll let that one sit there. So... <laughs> Tonight, I have asked the audience for some questions. I didn't get many, because, well, I only asked about an hour ago. But I do have a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you guys about. But, let us begin. This is actually a good question from Ink and Skin. At Ink, I-N-K-N-S-K-I-N. Very talented artist, so you should go to, I think it's a he. No offense if you're listening to this, Ink and Skin. I don't know what your gender is. But, uh, or sex, I I don't remember which one's which these days, and apparently it's important. But anyway, he, she asks, will oversaturation in podcast content lead to a new artistic form of this medium? It's an interesting question. This is something I have thought about quite a bit. I think we're already seeing the emergence of this with video podcasting. Not seeing, I mean, it's been going on for a while that people and that podcasts have to be live. It's got to have video and all this other stuff. And yeah, I'm, I'm watching it change. I personally come from a little bit of an older school of this. I like podcasts. I'm not coming from a background that I never wanted to be a radio guy. I mean, maybe I did a little bit, but the most part is I like the idea of creating, you know, in a, in a perfect world where I didn't have to work every day. I'd like to do, I don't know, maybe two, three hours a week or something, but. In the world that we live in now, I like the idea of having a crafted hour-long show. Not to say that my show is crafted, but what I mean to say is a prepared... My well, my show's not prepared either, but what I mean is a thing where filters were run, and I pretend that it's some kind of quality once a week to give out to people. I like the idea of the direct download into your brain from somebody else once a week, and then you get enough of those together and you start seeing this picture of a world that you previously weren't aware of. If you're trying to do it more of the old school traditional radio style, I just feel like you're getting more hours of the same content. And that's fine. It's enjoyable. It's just not where I'm coming from. So yeah, the medium is changing, that it's moving towards video content. It's moving towards a lot of live shows, which live show I do like the idea of. Um, but I personally like the show the way it is. Not necessarily like my show the way it is, but I like the concept as it is. I don't mind going live very now and again. Uh, I'm not a 100% against video podcasting. Um, I would do one probably. Um, recently, I've taken to being on Skype rather often. And I've gotten much more comfortable in front of a webcam. That sounded like I'm showing my dick. I'm not. I just mean I, I'm, I'm kind of getting used to seeing the um, aborted Neanderthal fetus that my face is. I Seeing it on a camera, so I might go that way. But anyway, yeah, podcast things are changing. And I think it's going to move more towards kind of a studio style. Like it's going to turn into a talk show like a more of a studio style talk show where it's going to be, you know, individual episodes of like a, um, Johnny Carson, which I don't, I don't know who, who is Johnny Carson right now. Jimmy Kimmel. Is that one of them? Either way, one of those, you may hear upstairs lady walking around and hearing large amounts of squeaking and it's really fucking irritating, but this house carries sound way too well. And I'm trying to figure out a way around it, but that's not part of the future of podcasting. That's part of the future of listening some poor guy talk about anything random—it's oh, really fucking irritating, right? Why am I whispering? Anyway, yes. So I do think that podcast saturation will lead to new artistic forms, but I also think that in the future podcasting—the way it is moving now—is a lot of people are going to drop out because now it's been saturated to the point that there's no way to make any money. There's no way to get really kind of famous off of this that a lot of people that are in it thinking they're going to be the next Joe Rogan or the next Adam Carolla or the next, you know, whatever it is, are going to drop out. It's the same thing you see in any community where something gets popular. You watch people get really into it and then slowly but surely kind of you separate the wheat from the chaff. And I'm here because I like doing podcasts. I think it's, a as I was just saying, it's a valid form of creative output and I'm going to keep doing it. I, I think a lot of people, once they kind of once that stutter happens where that initial run of getting popular goes away, because a lot of shows will get like this, this onset of like, Oh, I'm getting a few hundred downloads or whatever. And then, you know, thinking they're going to be the next thing and it all eventually just fades and you're back to just being the creative person that you were supposed to be in the first place. And a lot of times that's not enough for people. So I've watched a lot of shows just disintegrate that way. I watched a lot of shows that work you know, pretty quality for, you know, the, whatever you call this, the amateur podcasts or whatever the, Whatever you call this style, where it's non-professional, non-comedian, but yeah, I think that's the future. So you're going to see a lot of shows that are—you're seeing it now—that a lot of shows you'll see haven't put out a show in two weeks, and they'll put out a show and pretend it's still the same thing, and then they'll skip a week, and then they'll skip—you know—that'll be on for two weeks, and they'll skip a week, and he starts seeing everything start breaking down. And there's a lot of shows that I've seen that happen to, and a lot of shows that's happening to now, and that's the future of it—is that. It will always be oversat. It'll be saturated to you know the the market dictates its needs. So it'll the saturation point will kind of what what do you say? Like the water will find its level. So there'll be a lot of shows like this one where you know I'm gonna be this show is gonna be in the top one thousand on Stitcher or you know fifteen hundred if things start slipping more on Stitcher for probably you know as long as i'm doing it you know this i'm never going to be new and noteworthy on itunes you know this there's a lot of shows like this one where it's going to sit in that hazy like yeah there's sometimes there's a comma in your downloads you know but you're never you know not enough to get any kind of significant advertising not enough to get any kind of any kind of momentum on that level going but there's a lot of things that sit there and i think you're going to see more and more shows like mine and like See, I don't want to name anybody else because I feel like I'm I'm diminishing their their because I'm actually saying it as a compliment. But I, okay, well uh, let me see the Inspired Disorder podcast, which I mean this as a compliment. But you're gonna see a lot of shows like Mind and theirs where it's they'll we'll keep going. And I mean, I guess Ray's doing. He's actually gotten like real guests on, and like yeah, maybe maybe he's like a little bit above what I'm talking about, but you get the idea. Where it's there'll be a lot of this medium level show or you know lower middle class show will be around and you get a lot of the shows that kind of had that rocket quick first week and then fall apart. So there'll be a lot of shows that last four months. There'll be a lot of shows that after the first year broke up and there'll be the shows that break off and there'll be, instead of podcasts, it'll be the video podcast and that video podcast is going to turn into just a, a produced television show. I think you're going to see a lot more shows with green screens, which we I've already seen a bunch of them. It's going to go that way and it is going that way. I just, I personally like, where we're coming from. I like this style of it. Um, I think I could do more interaction with the fans, but it's tough to do when I'm the only one in the room. So, um, maybe get a producer again. That would make things easier. But the point is, yeah, that's the future. So thank you for the question. Ink and skin. Wonderful man. And we got one while I was talking. The unholy codpiece himself, Stan Da Devil. He asks... Do you think order of structure or the art of chaos is more beneficial to the well-being of humanity? Do you think, do you think order of structure or the art of chaos um, is more beneficial? Well, I guess we have to talk about which part of humanity we're talking about benefiting. Uh, listeners of the show will know that I often will bring up Rome on the show. Uh, because I'm kind of obsessed by it. Not obsessed, like any Roman scholar will think I know nothing. Because I don't. I just, I find the storyline interesting. I find the narrative interesting. Because I think Rome is a great example of what happens when structure wins. That it's this, this, the roads run straight. Everything's run the same way. We build the baths the same in every city we go in kind of thing. And is that beneficial? It kind of is in one way, and it's not in another. Like, people always say, people fear the New World Order. They fear, like, one-world government taking over. But you know what happens from one-world government? Fucking Star Trek, son. The United Federation of Planets. Earth came together in this glorious union and rose up, and now they're traveling the interstellar distances using warp technology invented by Zephyrm Cochran. But this is the positive side of that and the negative side is all the things people fear about the new world order and the one world government that we lose our privacy, we, we some of our, some of our rights, that kind of thing. And I think that style of stuff loses art as well. You start to like, you don't see a lot of great art on star Trek and you don't see a lot of spirituality or philosophy. I guess some philosophy, but chaos on the other hand brings in, art brings in every, it brings in the soul. Like that's where, you know, the soul is chaos. That's where, that's where chaos is love, art, music, all of the, all the things that make us differentiated from animals is, is where chaos benefits us. So you kind of have to weigh whether the long-term betterment better, of humanity, like structure has given us a uh, really good medicine, Um, and I say us, I mean, white people in the, in the Western world, really good medicine, uh, the internet, this microphone I'm talking into, like all of this cool stuff, but chaos has given us, you know, uh, poetry, art chaos has given us, um, every bit of ritual we ever wanted, even though I guess ritual was probably the beginning of structure, but it's, it's trying to make from the chaos, something usable, trying to, trying to harness the chaos ritual dance or shamanism is taking the chaos and trying to put it into a form where you can control it which obviously you can't but by that action you kind of tap into that deeper sense of humanity or tap into what humanity actually is so i think they're both i mean so i think Order and structure, and then kind of art slash chaos, or, I mean, not... I think I just described a fucking, like, one of those yin-yangs. yin, yin yangs. Um, I think there has to be a component of both, because, yeah, you need... I mean, the fact is, it's really nice to have this internet functioning in front of me, and chaos doesn't build the internet, you know. There's, you know, there's, um, yeah, it's weird, because... There's a certain kind of primalism that people, especially like kind of arty types like us, tend to fall back into where we think, oh, we'd be happier, you know, scratching our asses in the dirt and, you know, building cool things. And, you know, there is a certain there's a certain desire to move that way. But also re- I have a I have a hot shower like like 10 feet away from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking to a microphone, which is technology beyond what anything could ever possibly be imagined. That's being thrown into a computer that's going out onto the internet. It's the, the, the coolness of what my life is just from the fact that I have fucking shoes. I have a, I have a house that happens to be squeaky and I have running water that's, that's potable, that's drinkable, like right there. That's fucking awesome. And you don't get really cool running water from chaos. That's, that's the Romans build the aqueducts. That's, that's where, that's where, that's where potable water comes from. Chaos gets you, you know, uh, magic mushrooms and, and contacting, uh, deities and chaos gives you really good painting. You know, chaos gives us, uh, all of the fun stuff, but that fun stuff kind of outside of itself, you know, it's not so much fun where when everything breaks down, it's not so much fun to be like, yeah, I'm going to take mushrooms and build a cool statue when, the tribe next door is going to come in and bash you over the skull and, and, and rape you and your chicks. Like that's not fun. And the forces of chaos are on one side and the forces of the order on the other. And somewhere between the two and that swirling mass is where we'd find that good homeostasis, that equilibrium. So I think the well-being of humanity in a really kind of boring, Um, keep yourself alive, keep moving forward. Uh, It's probably fiscally responsible, that sort of thing. Structure is more important. But to think it's worthwhile to keep going, it's chaos is more important. Because for me, if we just, if everything goes to just working perfectly and we're a seamless functional group and we move forward through the ages, like those fucking gray aliens where these emotionless big-eyed fucking disgusting things i don't really see the point of being a person anymore then what's what the hell's why define humanity then you know what great like we've turned into robots yay so oh fuck it i guess i just talked myself out of my answer no chaos is chaos is more important but it needs to be weighted down by a healthy dose of structure because structure ultimate structure would lead to humanity's death and that we would change from the beings that we are as we're defined by humanity As we define humanity, I mean, into something else. So a perfect structure becomes, you know, a cold, clinical, robot-like existence eventually. And then eventually, we'll probably just download our brains into robots and slough our emotions off like dead skin. And then what we've done is killed humanity, even though it's better for the long be for the you know the long run. But it's not better in that the thing that had the idea, the thing that said logic will be better, was destroyed by the logic. But it was destroyed so pleasantly. And over such a small it was such a you know a long amount of time that we didn't even see it happening, so was it a good idea uh to inter you know neanderthals was it a good idea to like interbreed with with homo sapiens? probably you know it's like we you know look at the thin fucking new model that just came out, yeah, what's up, ladies But what that did was um the Neanderthals aren't around anymore now yeah it was it was a pleasant demise, and it probably was better for them because their genetics went on for longer because they were going to be killed off. And they were killed off. But they're killed off in a pleasant way. Assuming the the model in which we it's been, you know, postulated recently that there was interbreeding and that's you know what Europeans carry around uh remnant DNA of Neanderthals. So yeah, that was a weird answer. But I think it worked. But thank you, Stan da Devil, Much appreciated. So here are some links I have open for y'all. Um oh wait, before I start this. Go to facebook.com slash thestandardpdx. That's the bar that sponsors the show. That would mean a, like a whole bunch to me uh, if you did that. Go, click like, uh, maybe leave a little message saying Alex sent you. Even though, I don't think anybody's ever done that. I know people have clicked like for me. I don't think anybody's ever done like the, the um, say Alex sent you. But that'd be nice. But yeah, the standard is a wonderful place. I adore it. If you go there on Sundays, it is $2 for a microbrew beer. Like, like some of the best beer in the world. Like this handcrafted, wonderful nectar of the gods. Also, something that came from chaos. Beer directly related to chaos is there. And you just paid $2 for a pint of it. It's fucking marvelous. And um, the other night is, let's see, Wednesday nights is dollar hams night. So you get a dollar for a pint of hams. Like tap, tap beer to, for a dollar. I mean, you can't beat that. You're not going to see me there on Wednesdays because, you know, frankly, I don't like to corrals with the type of people that would go to drink cheap domestic beer i mean frankly i'm, I'm better than that <laughs> but of course i'm not because I, I take their money but i do love the uh, bar and it's a wonderful place so go hang out enjoy yourselves kick your feet up there's a patio where you can smoke that's quite nice i've been told i don't go out there because i don't smoke there is like one two three like probably like five-ish pinball machines there's one of those, uh, shoot digital deer machines and there's a pool table and there's, uh, video poker. It's everything you could ever ask for out of a bar. And it's located at 14 Northeast 22nd Ave, Portland, Oregon. You should go. You'd be great. Show up on a Sunday. Say hi to me. I'm there pretty much every Sunday night because I go and do some editing on Sundays. I feel it. Uh, that sort of structure and routine helps me, which really enough, going back to the previous question, maybe structure does help too. Organize the chaos enough that I can write weird books about quantum theory exploding animals. Hmm, who knows? Facebook.com slash TheStandardPDX. Go. Enjoy. Have fun. I mean, don't just go there. Like, go to the actual standard. But the 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 only website they have is that one. So, they have like a TheStandard.com or something, but it's pretty bad. It hasn't been updated in a while. It's pretty useless to you. So, there isn't that. Here are some random things I found on the internet that I would like to tell you about. So I was, uh, I don't even know where the fuck I found this, but I found, it's uh, etymology, E-T-Y-M-O-N-L-I-N-E, etymonline. That's really hard, but it's etymology online. So it's just a list of where words came from, which is what etymology is. Uh, I love this website. I am a dork of the highest caliber. I do enjoy following words down through their, through their past. I find it terribly interesting. So this is, I mean, it's basically what you see in a dictionary, but you see, um, it's just much more comprehensive, I suppose. So I'm going to put the link up. Um, just go to episode 161, just look for links there. And yeah, it is good. So let's see if I can't find something. Um, here's a fun one. Sabbath. Old English, sabbat, Saturday as a day of rest, as observed by the Jews from Latin, sabbatum, from Greek, sabbaton, from Hebrew, shabbat, uh, properly, day of rest, from shabbat, he rested, spelling with th, attested from 14 CE, not widespread until 16 CE. The Babylons regarded seventh, uh, seventh days as unlucky and avoided certain activities then. The Jewish observance might have been begun as a similar custom. Along European Christians, from the seventh day of the week it began to be applied in fifteen CE, the first Sunday, though no definite law, either divine or ecclesiastical, directed the change. But elaborate justifications have been made. The change was driven Christian celebration of the Lord's resurrection on the first day of the week, and change completed during the re- resurrection. The original meaning is preserved in Spanish Sabato, Italian Sabato, and other languages named for Saturday. Hungarian Romanian, Sambata, French, Samedi, oh, uh, Samed, Samed. we're not saying that. German, Samstag, and are from vulgar Latin, Sambatum, and Greek, Sambatum. You get the point. Okay, look, it's really more interesting when you read it in your head and not have, uh, an overweight podcaster from Portland, Oregon read it to you. But I find it terrifically, terrifically, um, interesting. Like, you could find out that Sabre, through the line, came from Hungarian, uh, we, uh, Zabini to cut. How fun is that? And that's through multiple languages. Follow us. Love us. So, yeah, I'll put a link up to that. I enjoy it. If you're a word nerd, you'll like it too. You might be thinking, Alex, why would I enjoy that? Just click around, and then the next thing you'll know, you'll find yourself staring in wide-eyed wonderment. That has been 20 to 40 minutes since you first clicked on that. And it is now 40 minutes later, and you're like, I don't really remember anything I just read, but I remember it being amazing. I don't even know why I did that. Well, anyway, I'll put this link up if you want to read. Er- Erwin Schrodinger was not a morning person. Uh, he was... Um, yeah, I don't... Why the hell did I do this? Well, anyway, here's, here's a quote from Schro- Schrodinger's wife. He was not an early riser. He couldn't work in the mornings at all. As far as that goes, it went that way in Berlin. The Planck lectures, as you know, it was... 30 or 40 years ago that Planck was in Berlin, were given in the morning from 9 to 10. When he got this early, very honorable call to Berlin, he wrote first thing and said, I'm very sorry, but I can't keep the lecture hours because I can't work in the morning. Schrodinger's dislike of working in the mornings wasn't because he was sleeping in, however. Anne-Marie said he occasionally weaved, sculpted, and drew. Uh, that's confirmed in the blah, blah, blah. During World War I, he was too depressed by the conflict and various love affairs to get out of bed. He occasionally met with lovers or uh, recovered from a late night out. Uh, yeah. So, however, there's at least one story of Schrodinger in the morning that's more inspirational for physicists. It hints that Schrodinger could work in the mornings as long as he was out of the office. A student recalled that in the early 20s, Schrodinger liked to go to the beach in the mornings. When he was there, he had an interesting occupation. In the summertime, when it was warm enough, we went to the bathing beach on Lake of Zurich, sat with our own notes on the grass, and watched this lean man. He was in bathing trunks, writing his calculations before us on an improvised blackboard, which we had brought along. At the time, people came to the bathing beach in that morning, and those that did watched us from a discreet distance and wondered what that man was writing on the blackboard. So, I just find that kind of interesting. I just like the idea that someone who's so fucking brilliant, someone that did like this massive, massive contribution to, to modern thought, modern physics, is suffers from the same kind of crap that a lot of us go through. I don't know if, if you're anything like me, but... Um, I don't do well in the mornings myself. I, the idea of facing another day is nearly impossible at times. And it's just kind of, it's, I suppose it's just nice that Mr. Schrodinger was like that. I suppose that's, um, I suppose it's just, I suppose that's it. You may have noticed I get distracted there because, um, every now and again, I get wonderful text messages from people. And then I have to find myself in this, this struggle with me to hold on to previous depressions and horrors and, and, strike that down the center with some form of happiness and hope. And sometimes you get these random checks, you You're like, wow, that's very nice. Randomness, hope, wonder, hope. It's good. I also found a really fun art exhibit. So it's an art exhibit, uh, that's, um, it's called hearsay and it's all art based on urban legends. So it's got like, a like a, um, alligator leaving a New York city sewer. Um, now I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, that's the, that's the top one. It's kind of, it, whatever, just look at it. This is not one of the ones I can really talk about. I don't even know why the fuck I even, why, why the hell I even, uh, brought this up on the show, but I'll put a link down. Oh, and my link's dead. All right. Well, I'll find, yeah, here's a link to the link that doesn't work anymore. Shut up, Alex. Good. Continuing on. I also found this. Just watch a video. It's Ksenia Simonov, Simonova, Simonova. Ksenia Simonova. And she is a Ukrainian artist that does these sand paintings and it's fucking beautiful. I'm really kind of bowled over. Since she comes out and it's like a, um, transparency board kind of thing. So it's shot from above and you just watch her pour out sand. So she's drawing these things in sand. And then as kind of the music progresses in kind of like a dance-like way, she changes the way the sand lays. So it'd be like, you know, it's drawing like a, this, like, you know, pleasant person sitting on a bench and then. That'll kind of change to, like, bombers coming over, and then the bombers will change down to the face of a woman weeping, and it's it's really fucking beautiful. And it bothers me how beautiful it is, because I'm supposed to be cold and heartless, and yet I find myself moved by this. So enjoy. That link will be on the website. I'm just getting rid of these, because I realize none of these are really apt to talk about. The last thing I wanted to mention... Well, actually, the thing I wanted to mention on tonight's show. So I watched... um Oh, Jesus, I forgot the name of it. Uh, hold on, I'll figure it out. That Calvin Hobbes documentary that came out? Uh, hold on. It's called, like... Um, Dear Mr. Watterson. And... Yeah, alright, so... I don't know which way to approach this. Let's just go with the movie first. Not... Not the best film... Not the best documentary ever. Parts of it were good. Essentially, what the filmmaker did was went through and talked to people about how, <clears throat> talked to people about how, um, Calvin and Hobbes influenced their lives. Uh, they had interviews with a bunch of, you know, famous, uh, uh comic strip writers, the guy from Pogo, the guy from, uh, I think Doonesbury was in there, and, um, um, the, the whole bunch of other ones. I, I I'm not really well versed on the, on the strip, but, Or on the the, uh, comic book artists. I've said none none words right. None words right in like five minutes. Hold on. (laughs) Pressing on. So. Yeah. It strikes me as a documentary that came from a place of this dude really likes Calvin Hobbes. He wanted to do it. And all he wanted to do was talk to Bill Watterson. And he didn't get him. Because no one does. Bill Watterson does not do interviews. It's just part of his, his mystique or, you know, the way he wants to live his life. So, I don't know how much you guys know about this. Maybe I should go back in time and explain something. So, Calvin Hobbes, I think everybody knows what that that was, was a comic strip that premiered in the 80s and it was uh, incredibly popular. Part of the kind of mythos around it is um, that he, one, refused to do... Um, to To sell away the uh, rights to his character. So he wouldn't allow uh, T-shirts to be made or or toys or anything along those lines. It's, you know, that's just one of the, yeah. But he would have made boatloads of, boatloads of boatloads of money off of it. So that was kind of part of his mystique. And then he never really, he didn't give a lot of interviews while he was doing the strip. Uh, apparently he never just wanted to be famous. He just, he just wanted to, uh, and yes, your your text did distract me. Thank you very much. Um, the um, yeah, and then so he didn't do a lot of interviews, and he stopped during the strip at essentially the height of its power, which is that doesn't happen. I mean, you don't like comic comic strips just go on; they just keep happening. They they stop being funny. Uh, years upon years before they end, and they generally end when the person is too old to keep doing it or dies, and in some cases the the original artist stops doing it and fucking uh their like kid will take it on or some you know some shit like that but bill stepped out i mean he was probably it was about twenty years ago or so fifteen twenty years ago now, and he was pretty young at the time, like uh, i I remember looking this up, I think he was probably. I think he was maybe in his thirties when he quit. Like, I mean, he was, he was still a pretty young man, maybe, you know, forties, whatever, but pretty, yeah, not a, not a common thing, but since he, since he bowed out, he doesn't do interviews. I mean, I think maybe he's done one or two in <clears throat> in 15 years. And apparently he is doing some work, uh, but not comics. So he can just do his painting or whatever, but, Okay. So that's the background of, of Bill Watterson. So, and a lot of people want to do documentaries about it. A lot of people want to write books about it, to do the, um, the authorized biography of Calvin and Hobbes or the author, authorized biography of, of Bill Watterson. And he doesn't allow it. And this movie just strikes me as, as something that w- he wanted to make a documentary talking to Bill and he didn't get it. And I guess he started to talk to all the other uh, cartoonists and he just, the whole movie just it just stinks of. He thought that if he talked to enough cartoonists, it would get Bill's attention, and he would get him. Because there's a few lines in there where he talks about, "Oh, I didn't really even want to talk to Bill Waters," and like, and it's it just it 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 rang untrue. There was a sour smell and flavor upon the man's words. It's a good enough documentary if you like Calvin and Hobbes. It's fun to see other people talking about it. Um, yeah. So. Calvin Hobbes ends on this wonderful strip of them in the woods together. uh, Calvin, the little boy, Hobbes, the tiger. And uh, the last line is let's go exploring. And it's them, you know, leaving off, you know, off, off page to go wander about in the woods some more, which is something we've been following them doing for, you know, the years upon years of their run. And so the reason, okay, so I watched the film and it was fine. It's on Netflix. Give it a watch if you're, if you're bored. I mean, it's certainly not bad. It's just, it just, yeah, it just, parts of it just, it didn't ring true or maybe just needed a better edit. I'm not sure, but there were some parts that were cool. We went to the library that houses all of Bill Orderson's original drawings for the strips. And that was cool to see him pull out them and talk about them a bit and see it on camera the way they look. So that was kind of cool. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is I, I've wanted, I've actually wanted to talk about Calvin Hobbs Hobbes for a while. Um, I may have actually talked about it on the really early show, you know, uh, years ago that, um, they put out a, they put out a collection. It's the complete Calvin and Hobbes. It's like two or three big leather bound, badass books of Calvin and Hobbes comics, all of them, you know, a compendium of Calvin and Hobbes. And I'm pretty sure I probably just, I probably talked about them while, yeah, when that came out. Anyway, that's one of those desperate, I want them, but I would feel bad spending that kind of money. And then I would feel bad if like, my uh, my parents or something wanted to get me like a Christmas gift. I'd feel terrible because it's expensive as fuck for fucking kids' drawings. But I remember when I was a kid, the first thing that I wanted to know how to read was Garfield, the little the cat comic. I was I was uh, kind of obsessed by it. My uh, my mother would read it to me, and then uh, when she would get bored, she'd make my brother read it on the Sunday comics. And so Garfield was like this thing, I really liked it, but uh, when I got old enough to actually know how to read, so when you're, what, five or six or whatever, when you're, when you're all about to read comics, I was given a copy of, you know, I don't even remember what it was. You know, actually my timeline might be off here, so let's forget that. Let's put it this way. I remember liking Calvin and Hobbes, and I got whatever that first book of Calvin and Hobbes, the first collection was, and I was just fucking enamored it was exactly what i wanted from the universe it was a smart ass little boy who lives in a in a ridiculous you know fantasy imagination land doesn't understand the workings of his parents just doesn't understand the world as it is and invents a reality for him, you know in which for him to live and yeah i was just immediately like oh that's it like this is that's my future i want to be calvin and i think kind of in some way it was calvin you know it was You know, wander, you know, a lot of my childhood was wandering around in weird fucking stands of woods and there was a brook in my backyard that we used to play in. Like a lot of it was that kind of uh, imagination world building. I mean, certainly not in the, I don't even know where Bill's from. I think it's Ohio, but certainly not in the vast expanses that's shown in the comic book or in the, in the comic strip of, you know, these stretches of woods that go on forever. And, you know, every day it snows in the winter and, you know, that kind of, That idealized childhood setting, or at least idealized for the generation that I come from, where we were allowed to go out and go out and play. And, you know, there was no worry about, you know, whatever people worry about with their children. And it was a big influence on wanting to write was that. So when I, I was got into Calvin Hobbes and I was reading a bunch of it. And my first thought was like, Oh, I want to do this. Like this is what I want to do for a living. Like I want to make comics and. It didn't take all that long to realize I have absolutely no ability with art. It's, it's almost, it would almost be an insult to call anything on that I tried, uh, to make art. It would, it would insult everybody that's ever performed art before me. It was a mongrel bastard, just demented, mutated thing that sat on a page, like just a, just a, just a, a quivering, wet mess that used to be an animal. Just this, ugh. So. Uh, I quickly realized that I would not be a cartoonist. But that was kind of the, one of the earliest, that probably was the earliest inclination for me that I wanted to write and I wanted to tell stories. And which, you know, I now have written a book. Like, I have a novel out. I've I've been writing, I'm reading my entire life. I, I don't remember a time before I wrote. You know, um, and Calvin Holds was directly directly corollary to that not corollary yeah corollary to that. It wasn't causal, but it was partially causal. I just wanted it, you know? <clears throat> I think Dr. Seuss, uh, Bill Otterson, and then uh later the far side, weirdly enough, another comic came in that the the complete absurdity of it, the non sequitur nature of it, the oddness of it really spoke to me on a deep level That that was something that was permissible in the universe. You know, you don't have to you don't have to fall into the The boring everyday way of viewing reality, which is, you know, that's also Calvin. That's, you know, and yeah, so that goes back. And now in my adult life, I like it's a direct one to one memory of what my childhood was like is, is Calvin and Hobbes. Like it's as a, you know, a, you know, 33 year old fat guy that's depressed all the time, going back and remembering that magical world that existed for me, that, and I don't mean the magical world of Calvin Hodds. I mean the, that is, that is metaphor. That is, a, that is a tangible object to remember what it was like to live in a world that there was still joy and there could still be magic. You know, there still could be random creation for creation's sakes. You know, I always loved the Calvin Hodds where he built snowmen in these grotesque fashions, you know, snowmen that are like cannibalizing each other, um, snowmen that were like, um, uh, you know, sacrificing each other to some kind of demon snow god or snowmen that were, um, attacking his dad's car so he'd watch them you know kind of spill onto the car he, he had a sequence of them on uh, doing a protest line in front of his house which I suppose was anti-homework or vegetables or some kind of kid thing and the world that that exists is is one that I, I mean I suppose I, I mean I guess just as an adult you can't live there I mean but I would like to and <clears throat> part of me my voice is just going to glass I must remind myself not to sing Steve Perry before the show. But it's just so hard to not sing Steve Perry. It's just so bloody hard. So, yeah, um, it's kind of associated. Like I live on the West Coast where I grew up on the East Coast and Calvin Hobbes, the, the, the geology of it, the, the, the location of it reminds me of where I grew up, of crunchy leaves, of, of snow you can build with. And I suppose, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's it. It's just like, that is a metaphor. Like it it kind of leaves you with this, I don't know, like melancholy nostalgia of wishing that you could get something like that back. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to people, to other people. Like, I don't know what it's like to live in your heads, but I can tell you, you don't want to live in mine. It's horrible in here. But Calvin Hobbes is this representation of that. And I want to go back, like, as an adult, I want to go back and reread all of them and just sit down and, and, you know, see what kind of, see what kind of effect that would have to kind of reconnect to that thing. I suspect that, I suspect that I would probably just read a bunch of them and find them amusing and have a bit of nostalgia and then just keep moving on. Cause, well, you're an adult. You can't view the world with children's eyes as an adult. Which kind of makes me sad saying that, because maybe I can. Because let's face it, I do, I, I essentially, I essentially am Peter Panning this shit up over here. Like, I have a shitty job just so I don't have to think in an adult way. You know, I, I, I have this weird fantasy land apartment that is built on this odd dream of having a podcast and a place to write. Like, the totality of my life actually probably is based on childhood thinking or childish thinking or the thinking of an artist, which I think are kind of similar. Um, Going back to the previous conversation, the, the chaos of it might be that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it does remind me of being on the East Coast, which is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And there's a certain part of the East Coast that I really miss, like fall I miss a lot. Like fall here, I live in Portland, Oregon, if you guys don't know. Fall here is fine. But there's a lot more like coniferous trees, which I think is what you call them. Yeah, the ones with needles instead of, like, crunchy leaves. And there's some crunchy leaves here, but, like, it's it's not the it's not the giant piles of crunchy leaves I remember when I was a kid that you'd jump off the garage roof into, you know? And, well, I guess spring had died. That's just global warming. But, you know, I remember spring when I was a kid, when spring actually still happened. Spring here is, it's, in the Pacific Northwest, it just rains all winter. You know, about October, it starts the rain, and then it stops, and... May. And um, so the spring is kind of this mix of like, there'll be a few days of very kind of idyllic spring and then it'll rain again. So it still feels wintry and, and then it's summer. So the, the kind of the transition through the, through the, through the seasons, it doesn't have that same crisp 4 seasonness that existed on the East Coast. And when I say exist on the East Coast, I mean, I exist on the East Coast of my memory. Because I don't know how much of this is real, you know? It's one of those things that, you know, the further you get away from something, the further you repeat the story to yourself, you know, the more it becomes you remembering a memory less than the actual thing. Because in my head, there was always snow. There was always large amounts of crunchy leaves. And probably wasn't. There probably wasn't snow all the time. There probably wasn't crunchy leaves all the time, you know? um, Yeah. It's weird. I also don't remember the summers being so hot. Which is odd, because I know they were. But I have this thing where, like, for some reason, summer doesn't remember. I, I have no memory of the sweltering, east coast, humid summer. Which, I know it's there. Like, I rem- I was there, like, I sort of remember it. Intellectually do, but, like, my my actual sense memory of it is gone. Very odd. So anyway, I'm talking about my own memories too much. I'm very sorry, guys. I am, um, yeah. So I want you to watch that Calvin Hops thing and get back to me. Read the Irving Schrodinger thing. Watch that. Definitely watch that sand art. I will make sure to put that on the website. Go to alexcast.com. And this is episode 161. Check that out. Um, Also, um, if you're on the site, please uh, click around. There's an Audible link where if you click it and sign up, you get a free audiobook. And then if you cancel before a month, you, you don't pay any money. And I get 15 bucks for everybody that does that. Which would be really helpful because I'm fucking broke and I'm trying to crawl my way out of debt. And, you know, if if a bunch of you guys did that, that would help me. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying if, you know, if you're, if you're kicking around and you've got a credit card and some time, that'd be nice. Um, Yeah, there's also an Amazon link. So if you're going to buy stuff on Amazon, click on that first. And there's, I haven't talked about it in a while, and I would like to right now. I've written two books. One is called Periphery. That's the recent one. It's a novel. And then there's a collection of, short stories in poetry called The Void Sutras, which recently has come back into my mind quite a bit because someone read it and I've been kind of talking to her about that. And yeah, you should check that out. Especially if you've read Periphery, you can go back and kind of see there's this one story called The Place of Forgotten Things, which kind of takes place in the a similar, uh, tonally a similar thing to Periphery, which I think that tone is where Periphery kind of came from. And yeah, so Periphery is a novel. It is, um it's about essentially a guy who shows up to an office in the woods to try to get a job and turns out to be a place of this kind of obscure philosophy where you're trying to see out of the sides of your eyes to see the periphery. And it is kind of a running metaphor towards quantum theory and spirituality and psychosis. And and yeah, it's um like everybody that read it and got back to me, um, liked it. Like I haven't really had any bad reviews. I mean, I've had bad reviews, but like nothing too, nothing too, you know, just mostly just like, yeah, it wasn't my cup of tea or something like that. So it is, this does come wholeheartedly recommended from both me because I am the writer and lots of other people that, um, well, not lots, but enough other people. Yeah. So you should check that out. It's called for free. Go to alexcast.com. If you click, actually, if you click the writing link at the top, so you go to alexcast.com, there's a, uh, there's a bunch of little uh, tabs there. If you click writing. It's probably not the most recent story, but if you scroll down a bit, you'll see there's a free sample. Uh so I gave a PDF of the first like probably 20% of the book or so. So it gets you to pretty much you you it gets you to the it gets to where it starts to get really weird. And it's already weird. So you should read that and you're like, wow, this is weird. Keep in mind it gets really weird from there. Like it's it's, that's where we start going bonkers. But it makes sense. This isn't like some avant-garde, like surrealist Dada thing. Like it's, no, it's, this is proper fiction. It does have an A to B narrative and it just depends on what A to B narrative you're reading, you know, which one you're taking away from it. Because I, um, I like stories where there's multiple things going on. So the way I wrote this is essentially there's a, there's an A story, which it's there. You cover A to B if you want to read it that way. And then the B story is kind of like the one that's kind of obviously that you have a choice to do. And then in a very, what I was trying to do is kind of mimic the way of of, of initiation societies, where if you read it the first time, go back again and start, start again. You'll be surprised the amount of things that I told you that you didn't see I told you. And that's the whole initiation process. That's the, you know, the phrase is uh, for those who have eyes to see. So when you go back, you'll realize that I've given you eyes to see, that you've, you've now, you know, you can now see the things that I was telling you directly, that there was no way you could know on your first read through. And then theoretically, you go back again and there might even be more. Who knows? The point is, there's multiple ways to view it and not just in that way. It is, you know, very much a quantum, a quantum book. It's depending on if you're looking or not, whether or not the cat in the box is dead. To go back to Mr. Erling Schrodinger, the quantum cat scenario. Essentially, if you don't know, quantum theory works. Whatever the idea is that uh, the laws of the way quantum theory would work, you know, because it works on such a small scale, it kind of falls apart on a large scale. So, if you brought quantum theory up, or you know, the way the quantum math works, or whatever, I don't know the proper terminology for this. Um, you put a you put a cat in a box. Uh, you put a, a, a some kind of you know cyanide that is uh connected to a trigger that's based on quantum theory. So like, let's say the, de- uh, the decay of an element and that's decay of an element can be predicted by quantum theory, but you can only see the result of the, that prediction to find out, you know, Oh God, this gets complicated and this can't be done. Quick. The point is quantum theory would say that there's two, there's, there's multiple distinct results that contradict the other. And the only way to find out which way it went would be to observe the result. So in the case of the cat, the cat the cat is both alive and dead simultaneously because the only way to find out which result happened would be to see the, to observe the result. So the cat is both alive and dead in this quantum state that until it can be checked upon to find out which one happened. So that's Schrodinger came up with that and quite, quite fun, but I tried to write a book like that where, you know, you don't know what happened until, you know, you make the decision and then you can go back and check. So. Essentially what I'm saying is read it twice and um if you want to buy it a second time, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't care. I'd be pretty into that. I think I think it'd be fun, actually. You can um you can give it to a friend. Here John, have a have a book. It's about I don't know what it's about, but I'm pretty sure I liked it. No, I can't tell you the plot because I'm I don't know. I know it made me feel uncomfortable, and that's what I was going for. So yeah, there's that. And I'm writing now. I'm working on, I'm actually writing more poetry now, which is kind of exciting, but I'm working on a book, theoretically, writing, I don't know what the title is, but I'm, I don't know, probably 12,000 words in or so, somewhere around there, and I kind of know where it's going, I pretty much have, like, the arc done in my head, I just need to actually, you know, pull it from my brain and type it, which is, at times... Severely a difficult task. Um, I don't, yeah. This whole, it's writer's block is weird because it works on multiple ways. Like sometimes writer's block is, I just can't think of what to write next. And that's kind of the more understandable one. But there's other times where writer's block works and it's like, you just don't want to write. Like it's, you just can't make yourself do it. And it's so weird because you want, you want to write intellectually. You want to write. You know, you do, but like you, you, you just can't. Make yourself do, oh, it's, uh It's so odd. It's, it's like, yeah, I don't, I mean, there's no, it's, it's like, it's like pushing, and a, a, it's, it's like pushing a boulder made of fog. It's just, oh, uh, it's all the frustration. But, yeah, I'm working on it and I'm trying to get it done as quickly as possible because I'm trying to, yeah, you know, I'm trying to change my life here, people, for the positive. I haven't missed a week of doing a podcast and I can't even fucking tell you how long I have been writing at least once a week, which I've been failing at, but I try to write at least once a week, trying to change that to two. It's, it's really hard, especially when you have a day job. So anyway, I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, I've been distracted by a text message again, but I feel like I've already discussed everything I wanted to discuss during this episode. I sang some Journey in the beginning, which I think was beautiful. I talked about the other crap I talked about in the middle. Oh, yeah, wait, that that bit about chaos versus order was pretty decent. A bit about new podcast media, that was pretty decent. Yeah, okay, I'll say this was not a bad episode. I'm going to give this one a solid checkmark in the I don't hate myself for having produced this and spit it out onto the world, quivering and unknowing, like a newborn foal on withering lakes. Cause withering is a word. It's not, but it's the one that I said. Because I'm the kind of guy that can make up words. I have a degree. It says English on it. Oh, that was the other thing I was, oh, fuck, I guess I'll do one more thing. So back to the art. I swear, okay, I'm going to finish on this one. It's actually this is quick. It's just a thought I had that I just wanted to remind everybody. If you're an artist or a writer or a, or a podcaster or a, or a, sculptor or a a painter, which I guess all these would count as artists, but okay, let's enumerate a list of all the things that are art-based filmmaker, whatever, probably the whole fucking thing. I think people in this quest for kind of instant fame, which we were talking about the podcast thing before, where people just want to get big. And then when they're not a big, you know, when they're not going to get there, they kind of quit is you are in service to your art. It's not the other way around. You, sometimes people get good things from art. Sometimes, you know, you become a famous writer. You know, sometimes you become a famous painter or sculptor, whatever. But that's not why you're there. Or at least that's not why you're supposed to be there. You serve art, not the other way. Art doesn't serve you. You don't use art for purposes. And yeah, some people get to. But the point is, you're supposed to be in dedication to this. You're supposed to serve it. You are a servant you are a slave to it. You you serve art. It's just a reminder, because I, I keep hearing people bitch about the various ways that things aren't working. And I'm, I'm one of them, certainly. I certainly forget this fact. And I guess that's why I popped in my head. And I guess this is why I wanted to say it out loud. We are bound to something. We're bound to the creative force. You either quit or you do it to serve. You don't. You don't try to manipulate it because that's, that's where it starts being art. Then it becomes, then it becomes, I don't even know what it would become. It would become woodworking. I mean, I guess woodworking can be art. It would be building IKEA furniture. Like, yeah, I mean, you are know, putting something together, sure. It's sort of like, sort of like art. I mean, it's the hand motions might be a little bit the same, but it's not art because you're, you're, you know, you're doing it for the, you're doing it for a weird reason. You're doing it for, for gain. And, you know, you don't, you're, you you do not enter into service for gain. You know, I don't know many people in the service industry that are, you know, skipping down the street, turning cartwheels saying, yay, I'm so fucking wealthy from joining the service industry. You know, it's, uh, there's a reason that, that serve to serve service to serve man, clatu baratu nictu is, that's a different movie. The point is, serving and service are not to be, these are kind of negative, but they're negative in the, in the most positive way. This is a sacrifice you're making. You're giving away a chunk of you to service art. And I don't know what I'm saying. I do know what I'm saying here, but I think, I think I've made my point. I just wish that people would remember that. And I wish I would remember that. But now that I've said it out loud, I feel like a bunch of you people know, and I'm kind of, I'm beholden onto you. Uh, to to live up to this statement because I don't like being a hypocrite. That's what I try to bring you guys. I try to bring you honesty and uh, that's about it. I'm trying not to contradict myself unless my opinion changed. But that doesn't count as hypocrisy to me because that just means you're a person willing to have an open heart and mind to change your mind on things. I like to bring you that. I like to bring you unfettered access into most of my life. And I like to hide hidden messages in every episode hidden secret messages that only those with eyes can see but since it's an audio media medium only those with ears can hear which poetically doesn't have the same ring to it uh but you get the idea because you've been inculcated into this which i don't think that's the right word i just wanted to say inculcated it's a nice sounding word say it with me everybody one two three inculcated that's nice that'll be our mantra from now on come on guys Welcome to the Alex cast. We have a mantra. Yay. Okay. I'm done. I'm going to be back soon. Since I did a show on Monday, these are usually the weeks that I end up doing two in a week. And I mean, I basically did an hour. Maybe I'll toss a random song at the end. No, I, won't, I don't care. It's close enough to an hour. Yeah. So uh, I've been Alex. You have been in the audience and I want to thank you very much for listening. And I want to thank you very much for being in my life. All of you. One and all. Not you though. The one from Twitter, uh, you know, you know, your avatar, It's got that cartoon. You're kind of an asshole. This is one of those, um, you, you, you're so vain. You probably think this song is about you moments where I was just, I was just wanted to see what would happen. I'm not talking about anybody. There's literally no one I'm referencing right now. And I kind of felt bad saying it because a lot of people from Twitter talked to me and that was just me being a jerk, I guess. I didn't mean to be. I just, um, I just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to say something. I want, I thought I was going to try to stretch to an hour, but think it ain't going to happen. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being you. And, um, if any of you are still listening that have respect for the military, I do apologize for my, my snide remark in the beginning of the show. I don't apologize for its content. I just apologize for being a jerk. Um, I, I think you, um, you and I just see the world differently. The point is I'm enamored with all of you, one and all. It's not true. I'm just using that word as a secret little hint. Um, yes. That's it. Go in peace. Have fun. Um, may the sun shine in your back. May you find yourself smiling and happy at some point in the immediate future. May you find yourself in a coffee shop. Sharing a table where something very magical happened many years ago. May you find yourself in... Uh, an automobile and, and as the days go by things of water calm me down it. namaste